You're listening to keynote speeches from our Melbourne Podcasters live event series. These are recorded live on location and feature some of the best podcast professionals in Australia who reveal the craft and techniques of creating a successful show. I'm Adam Jaffrey, Strategy Director at Wavelength Creative. We produce this show and we run the events. Today's topic is the podcasting side hustle, how to grow a successful show whilst also working full time. Featuring our keynote speaker, Drew Corby, who is the host of the incredible podcast, Pathways. The podcast for us was the um, front-end content strategy for a startup we're working on for about uh, three or four years. So we were the dumb people in the room at YBF for a couple of years roaming around trying to not get kicked out of the place, basically, <laughs> trying to, uh, after hours on weekends. Um, and we always lacked the, you know, the core skill of a technology startup, which is someone to code the, uh, the product for you. So we went, well, we can build community. I grew up as a musician. I still play music now, but I was back in the pre-MySpace days in a band trying to make it as a band, which is practically impossible. But the good thing about bands is uh, you do everything yourself because no one cares, and that's kind of podcasting sometimes as well. <laughs> so you do it all yourself. It's that kind of indie rock uh, attitude of uh, I don't care what everyone says. I'm still going to do it anyway. And um, I was like, well, I know how to produce music. Podcasting can't be that much more difficult. I was loved podcasts, so I was listening to 20, 30 hours a week, binging when I first moved down here from Brisbane about six years ago when I probably lacked a few friends. I made podcast friends instead. <laughs> and I, I know I do this. I know what a good show is. Um, let's do it. And uh, we said we're going to make 100 shows, um, rain, hail or shine. Uh, nice round number in a startup is always important. And um, I think there's uh, 70 up there. I think we made 100 and something. We threw a lot out because they weren't, weren't very good. And that's where it came about. So we can do this. Uh, we see as a rising audience, um, the startup was aimed particularly at young people, um, especially high school leavers and university starters who are right into podcasts. You probably noticed um, they're, they're lo- loving the podcasting. They're, they're poor, so they're free, which is great. Everyone's got a phone. <laughs> um, and I have a desktop computer. Everyone's got terrible data plans that's when they're students so they can use the internet Wi-Fi, free Wi-Fi to get their podcast. So um, that's who we're trying to get to. And um, it's been two years. Um, a bunch of iterations on the show, show format, the type of message we're trying to push out. We're at the end of season two. Last year got particularly hectic. I got married and a few things happened. So I had to kind of put the podcast on hold to save a marriage. So it was kind of, <laughs> it was kind of, it was worth it, I guess. And we'll talk about that tonight. You know, it's about quality. I think that that's the big thing that there's so much, we're talking a bit about it before, there's so much content full stop, let alone podcast content out there. Same thing happened to music, digital music production. I think you know, a good album would cost half a million to a million um, back in the mid 90s. A good six weeks in the studio, a good three or four months of mastering ring with some great technicians back when we did our album i think we spent 20 grand and back then a, a demo cost uh, 10 grand so we um, really stretched the 20 grand to make an album and we did a lot of stuff ourselves um now you can make an album for you know a couple hundred bucks on a laptop um i heard uh, lord's royal song um she stole all the plugins the Pro Tools was illegally downloaded and there was no real instruments on the whole song and it multi-platinum. So um, it just shows you how amazing technology is. But we don't have necessarily a lot more 
better music. We have a lot of music. And then a whole second industry called, you know, Spotify's discovery algorithm needed to come up to sort for this terrible music to get the good music. And you see, you know, page subscription is still the way because SoundCloud's not doing very well. SoundCloud is, I think they keep going almost into receivership um, because they have a lot of terrible music on there. No one wants to sort through it all and find it all and listen to it. I mean, it's free. What's free, free brings all the tie kickers. So anyway, so um, that's, that's what we're doing. And uh, so we went from an interview show um, to a uh, highly curated 20-minute editorial driven show from the advice from uh, Mitch and Sharon from Omni. They were like, it's no one cares, it's too long. We're like, okay, great. Let's, <laughs> let's, uh, let's cut it down. <laughs> and um, people will consume what they want to consume and look to what's already happening out there. There are millions of dollars of more made on movies than on documentaries. Is that because movies are better? No, but people want entertainment. They've got precious time now. Time's a, a non-renewable resource in their lives. I've got 25 minutes a day to chill out and fold the laundry. They can listen to a podcast they want to listen to. It's incredibly difficult to onboard people who don't listen to podcasts into your podcast. So don't try. If, if someone doesn't know that they have the free app on their phone, just walk away, give up. It's not, <laughs> it's not worth the conversation. Um, it's a lot of effort because they go, oh, I didn't know this. And then there's a whole thing. And then you go, well, you can listen to my podcast or like Serial, which has been downloaded a billion times. Uh, you should probably listen to Serial. It's better. <laughs> so I think there's, there's two camps. There's the I love podcasts to death. I listen. There's my primary content media source, people. And then there's everybody else. And the, the primary source media people um, will see that kind of probably separate into I listen to podcasts and YouTube and watch Netflix and it will kind of become part of their probably their radio listening time that they used to do. So especially as Apple gets into cars, uh, that will become like a commute thing. I was going to say with the technology stream. So I think to stand out, the most important thing is to really know your audience. There are horrifically recorded podcasts with millions of listeners. Like Duncan Trussell's Family Hour is just terrible. I listen to it. I listen to it still. Sometimes it only comes in one ear it's, it's often poorly recorded but people love him they love him as a personality and he was podcasting when it was like a you know the day seeker of a few thousand people in america i think that's the trick so no so if you're always in care about production then don't make it a production podcast that's probably the way to think about it so how do you find out what your audience wants when well, we can talk a bit about that but I think that's you make it stand out to the people it needs to stand out to. Among everything else, we ran an e-commerce agency for a couple of years um, and that was the big lesson. We had a, a learning academy attached to that and that was the big lesson. Everyone wants what they can already touch and feel. So people tend to start podcasts because they listen to podcasts and they go, oh, how can I have you know, the This American Life meets Joe Rogan plus a bit of Tim Ferriss and a bit of Dave Asprey on the side. And they didn't start with that in mind. They, they kind of grew into it and the audience was there to support and continue to encourage them to continue evolving that show. So it's a lot of startup thinking in, in this stuff is kind of fail and fail quickly. Don't get attached to your little creative baby, which can be very hard because, you know, just to make a podcast can take months of like Googling blogs and equipment side, which, you know, most people goes over their heads and they're like, how do you use GarageBand? And then just to hit record and edit a podcast might be a big achievement, um, which is amazing. But in the land of, you know, professional podcasters, um, it's not going to cut it. So you've got to go, well, what does my audience really care about? I need to service that. And usually it's really great content you know, and that, that's really about it. So it's kind of the, the internet and um, digital content consumption in general has just completely changed. It, it used to be, it's call like the uh, the desert days. Like if you saw a building in the desert, you'd go check it out because it's in the desert. Like this is amazing, that exists, I'll go check it out. Now it's more like Manhattan, right? There, there's, there's stuff everywhere. There's a whole second um, tier of organizations that are just there to help you navigate the internet. And they're making millions of dollars just out of that, that service alone. So 
know your audience and don't get confused by all the distractions. Don't show it to any of your friends or any of your family. Why? Because um, unless you've got thousands of friends and family, you won't have enough listeners to sustain your podcast. The same thing in business. Don't try and tell t-shirts to your friends and family. You've got like 50 sales and that's it. So I think um, show it to people who you know well enough that they're going to give you some kind of honest feedback and don't feel you have to record and publish and that's it. Now, if they never come back to you, that's a vote of I don't care, right? So, so if they don't care enough to come back to you, there's your first like, this wasn't good enough, right? The pitch wasn't good enough, the content wasn't good enough, whatever it is. If they come back to you and give you something, that means, okay, there's interest. And then what do they love? What do they hate? What would they change? Are the three questions I usually ask. It makes it very easy because I was like, oh, it was great. It was great. Ah, oh, you know, the whole thing, bits of it, it's too hard. You really have to help people help you a little bit but I think um, the, the way how do you find your audience give them a very clear description is, is a great place to start now the easiest place to start is people like me that's a good one because you know yourself pretty well so you just go oh you know the 35 year old guys have just got married there's a great podcast for you okay cool <laughs> what not to say on a podcast when you've just been married there, there's a great title for the first show and then um, at least you're going to appeal to some people you've got some familiarity with but then how do you bridge out from that? How do you know what they know and how do you like what they like? And at the same time, not appealing to the crowd because people also want authenticity. I think in the current landscape, all of the big general podcast ideas are taken. So if you think about that, that top 20 list of all the major categories, there's global brands in there now pushing their messages with podcasts with millions of listeners. So I always like going to a, a more tangible example. It's like saying, I really want to play tennis, but I will never beat Roger Federer. So I could be a great tennis player or maybe I want to be a great table tennis player or whatever it might be. So the competition's really hard. Um, if you do want to compete with them, go for it. But I think don't treat it as the brick wall of the niche. Like don't feel you have to serve that niche is the big thing. Be really specialized because it's very easy to measure something which is one dimensional. If you go, oh, people loved show four and hated show six. Why? If it's like about a very general topic, who knows, you know. The last four years have been a bit of a roller coaster. So I didn't even know what a tech startup was kind of four years ago. Um, a good mate of mine who was uh, um, one of my groups from the wedding, he's my most alternative friend. He's like, he wasn't getting the crazy shit. And I was like, oh, what did you do? I was like, oh, I went to a hackathon. I was like, what the hell is a hackathon? And I did one, went to it was a YBF, it was like 36 hours of work across two and a half days. And we got highly commended, which we were pretty chuffed about with our idea. And we're like, oh, maybe we can do this. And uh, we just hacked it every waking minute weekends after hours and we've got this good ethic i think that's the thing is you have to have this kind of um this strong muscle to do it um otherwise it's it's just a game of attrition unfortunately and the problem with podcasting is it really is a 12 to 24 month game so if you're not prepared to put a year into it it can be really hard to not get despondent when your podcast isn't growing in the first six months. I think we were averaging kind of 80 to 100 hours most weeks. So it's kind of full-time work. It's kind of like that. the average change would be kind of, I'm not a morning person, so I kind of get up around seven, get to work at eight and kind of get home nine, 10 most weeknights on the weekend, do like an eight till six and then Saturday and Sunday and then kind of back to work on Monday. And, um, but we treated it as a bit of a marathon. It's like, well, we're just going to keep doing this and keep doing this and keep doing this. And then what you find starts happening is when there is no deadline, there is no, oh, this will finish in six months. You naturally start working out how to adjust to that. So the first thing everyone lets go is sleep. So they go, oh, I just won't sleep as much tonight. That's sustainable for about three months. Then you get sick. 
and then you get tired, you lose all your relationships, your friends give up on you because you're tired and grumpy, and then you're alone, and it's two in the morning, you're doing a podcast. <laughs> so uh, so um, that, that's usually, it's like health and person first, um, because once again, it's how long's the game? You know, I, I think we've been all tricked by the unicorn American startups that, you know, burn bright, burn quick, make a billion dollars, you know, retire to the Bahamas, which think about how many startups there are and how many of those stories you can count on two hands, right? So, so I think uh, we, ha- we had a good work ethic. I came from uh, a bunch of workaholics in my family. So mum and dad worked same all through my life and kind of didn't know any better, essentially. Um, so there's a bit of that. Um, it's also how bad do you want it and how bad do you not care about things that you, sh- you don't want to care about. So I would be saying no to nine or 10 social things, losing friends. My attitude was like, look, if you don't want to support me, do this, then you know, are we really friends? And you see who your real friends are, which is kind of nice. And it's really about priorities, right? So I think if you say you definitely do need eight hours to sleep, I don't care what all the crazy four hours of the night people say, they're probably modafinil most of the time anyway. So if you're not taking some kind of strange supplement every day, you need eight hours, you've got 16 hours left, you take some commute time out. So you lose um, about 20 to 25% in just life. So you gotta go to the bathroom, you gotta eat, you gotta have a shower, <laughs> you gotta do all this kind of stuff. Um, so you usually lose about an hour, hour and a half a day just from that, which gives you say 14 hours in the rest of the day, which isn't a lot when you think about it. And you work full time. So there's at least another eight hours gone. So you got kind of six in the bank. What do you do with those six? And that's the kind of thing. And then you go, well, I could be, you know, chilling out and watching TV or I could be going to a party or I could be working on something really passionate about and I really want to get done. And I think that's the challenge of it. If it's not really hard, it becomes really amateur hour really quickly. Um, so for us, the podcast was, if this doesn't work, this startup's probably over. That was it for us, you know, and we already put so much into it. And for the first time in the startup, it was something we could actually do. There was nothing holding us back. And we just went, use all of that, those really strong hustle muscles and just went crazy. So I think... Everyone who said yes came on the podcasts in the first like 30 episodes. Um, we were doing two shows a week. So we were doing like a, a show with Sam and I and we were just, we were unstoppable. We couldn't like, no one could stop us from getting on a podcast. We'd drive all over the city and people responded to the hustle. They're like, man, these guys really want me to come on the show. I guess we're going to talk about something and we're going to talk to them. And once again, it was kind of leaning into our skill set. So why did we choose the show style? I'd spent 10 years coaching first line employees. So I had my 10,000 coaching hours in the bank. I knew how to make someone feel at ease, ask them kind of penetrating questions, draw things out of them, help them come to realizations. And that's where that kind of unique interview style you mentioned came through. So we call it deconstructing pivotal moments on the show. And um, we, our little goal was that every guest would have a pivotal moment on the show that connect two dots I hadn't connected and all that kind of fun stuff. And then we could make it sound kind of half okay, which meant that it kind of stood up. So I think um, the trick is not to panic. You get to a point where... All you think about is how much you've got to do. So make it very executable was our big thing. So we would do like planning on a Sunday afternoon and go, this is what we're going to do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, break it down into 15, 20 minute tasks because that was the kind of time frames we had to get things done. I was lucky that I knew how to do audio editing and recording and all that stuff came very easy to me because I spent so many hours around studios and music stuff. So I still edit the show because it's faster and cheaper so i think that the original interview show including the recording of the show i think we got down to 90 minutes to get it out because we could just get it done really quick it's production right so once you know what the workflow is you can make it so when you're doing the side hustle thing the only thing you have on your side is ad hoc time 
So it's really hard for you to sit down and devote a whole day to something. Like the, the two worst things are um, volunteers and children because they just don't care about whatever you're doing. And then you become a volunteer at your own business when you're on the weekends, unfortunately, because like, ah, oh, I've given myself charity time. Spend as much time on show and content. Is this good? If it's not good, it doesn't matter if there's 100 of them or 10 of them, it's not good. I think we were lucky that we had that lean startup kind of pedigree in what we were doing. So every single show we were testing. So I'll give an example. We saw that most people would listen to the first five minutes of our 45-minute podcast. More like, what was the point <laughs> of the other 40 minutes they should have listened to? It was amazing. What we uh, did is we, we created a little trailer. So we took a highlight reel from the, from the whole show. We smashed it together in like a 90-second thing. My, vo- my voiceover was over saying, hey, this is the person. This is who they are. And there was cool music. It was really engaging. And we saw the listening went from like five minutes to 15 minutes. Like, oh, fantastic. That's a huge uplift. And then we went, oh, maybe that's the show. So then we turned our 45-minute interview show into a 20-minute longer version of that initial 90 seconds because people just want to sit back and kind of be entertained. And that's what happened. So the whole show format now, still not quite there. We've still got to tinker with it. What's, what are we doing? It's just, it gets this next level and just like levels off. So then what is the next little lip up? Because we haven't got that resource. So what can we do that still makes a great show? So um, metrics that matter is very important. Metrics that don't matter, I'll talk about that. Uh, whatever your friends and family think doesn't matter. It's a creative thing. Right? You're doing because you love it. It's really hard to sit back from something that you love and you've molded and you've spent all this time producing and say, it's actually not very good. I need to kind of work on this. So the best way to do it is to have a metric that's actually kind of a big, thick black line around it. So ours were um, subscribers, obviously um, email subscribers were a big one. Business leads is all that really matters. So you know your podcast might have 100 downloads, but you might get two leads a week from it, which is fantastic. But it's got to be that simple. It's like, we did this to the show, did more people listen, more people talk about it, uh, were the articles being written about it, whatever it was. So we spent a lot of time and energy making a great website. We ran around Melbourne making a video. It's still up there, me looking serious about a podcast. And we um, did all that and made this great website. We thought, oh, it's just a promotional problem. Like We've got a good product, but no one knows about it. And we spent a lot of time creating like a destination. That definitely saw an uplift. It was like, well, these people are serious about it. Maybe we'll have a listen. And then um, we did that and then we went, okay, it's still not, we wanted to have this number. We wanted like 10,000 downloads an episode. That was kind of our goal. And um, still nowhere near that. But uh, till we get that, well, what are we doing? This startup we're working on is really important to us. We put way more time on the startup than the podcast. So it had to have value. It had to have tangible. We did this. We got this. We have now 1,000 email subscribers who are ready for our startup when it launches. It might help us get into an incubator or raise some money or whatever it is. Having said that, if you just want to make it because you love making podcasts, then do that and who cares if no one listens. But if you do want to make a show that's got cut through, then you've got to devote yourself to that craft. I think um, you have to have a vision. This is my show. This is the DNA of my show, the values of my show. These things will never change. It could be just your own personal values and worldview, which is fine. But this is what I'm prepared to do to make this show great and to serve an audience. There would be no such thing as TV if it didn't make money. There'd be no such thing as radio if it didn't make money. There'd be no such thing as this learning environment if it didn't make money. Like Everything's here because it makes money. Everything else is charity and charities get the bottom end of the stick, unfortunately, when it comes to support from the government and money because they don't make money. They kind of use their money to give back, if that makes sense. So if it's a passion thing, you've got to want to do it. So what allows you to say no to something is a hard yes somewhere else. 
So time management is very important, but there's plenty of people sit at their desk and just like should be doing something and just watch YouTube or Netflix or whatever it might be, you know what I mean? So it's, it's very easy just to, to be working on something but not actually get around to it. Once the show's right, that's the first thing. And what, what does right mean? It means that someone listens to it, they come back to you and say, wow, when's the next one, right? If people like say, hey, that was great. Let me know when it's on. I'll subscribe. I love that show, whatever it might be. There's your first little trigger. And the person saying that is probably your, your listener, right? the person who's like really into it. Um, there's that book, Thousand Raving Fans, it's all this kind of stuff. It's like you, don't, you can't afford to pay a sales force. Even the best podcast in the world can't afford to pay a sales force. So um, you need a word of mouth advocacy community group who's there championing your message about your show. And until you've got that, that's the first step to launch. And then beyond that is giving people something they can share and something they can grab a hold to. That's what really matters, really simply. So I know my audience now because I know these people who are asking me for more content. Um, I know where they live. I know how they want me to interact with them. So, you know, if it's is it emails or Facebook or Instagram, whatever it is, it doesn't really matter. And now I'm simply telling more of those people about my show. It's really simple. So in every show, there is um, a, scarce, a scarcity of, of some kind of resource. So for an interview show, the scarcity is the guests because they're so hard to get and annoying to track down. And in the early days of what we were doing was, if you want to do our show, we will be there. You tell us whatever environment works for you and we'll be there. After hours on weekends, we'll come. It's like, that was the selling point. Oh, we'll do it on the weekend. So it's really, it's really easy for you. It's like, that's only when I can do it too. That's fine. And that was like, we tried to turn everything into it. That's the lean startup stuff. Turn every weakness into a, an advantage. So we had a, a purpose around making the podcast portable. So we chose gear we could carry with us and drive around Melbourne and set up in any room essentially and get it done. We just didn't say no, essentially. So I was like, oh, I'm only free at like 7 a.m. on Sunday morning like okay cool we'll be there um and we just we just made it happen so once again it's like how bad do you want it you know it's you will make anything work if you want to make it work and it's also then you know what you're not doing so if guests are the finite resource everything pales in comparison to getting a great guest so you know you might do your editing in a weird funny time to get it all together but at least you got the recording you got the guest you know what i mean so anything which isn't going towards making great shows get rid of it there's no point launching a podcast if you're going to flame out after four months so how do you balance you know those elements there's a million self-help books about how to manage your time and manage your sleep for me i keep things really simple if you really want to do something you'll do it right so if you've got a metric that matters and you've seen that increase and you've got a show format that you know speaks to people you'll be motivated to keep doing it. And it's more about what you're saying no to than what you're saying yes to. It's really hard though. It is, it's saying no to friends and family is a really, really difficult thing. I think setting yourself up for success though and making it sustainable, right? So that's where you can make some really good decisions about what you do and don't outsource or automate. So if you get rid of a few hours a week in administration, that can save you some time. If you decide that my show format's rock solid, it works really well, it just takes seven hours to produce, you can pay someone to do that. But once again, you're going to give up some cash when you can see that your metric is working. It is a long game. But I think if you say, I'm going to be doing this for a couple of years, that takes the anxiety out of it a little bit. And you're like, I'm going to make a great show that people want to listen to. And I'm going to spend as much time as I need to do that. How did you market it? Because that's where I'm, you had no connections. You didn't know anyone. But yet you managed to 
bring it out? Because that's what I'm interested in. Great question. So we focused on product first. And once we had people coming back and telling us, hey, I really like that show. When's the next one? I listened to this other one that was amazing. I've shared it with my friends. Then we started worrying about promotion. The great thing about the internet, once again, it's so easy to make top shelf digital stuff. If it's good enough, people will talk about it. So word of mouth is a great promotional tool. If people talk about it and they send them a new audience member to your website or to your whatever, and it's not very good, they won't keep going. So a lot of our time was spent just where are people talking about podcasts and just getting a part of that conversation. Our audience are people who love this stuff. So we'll just go and hang out where they are, you know, and we'll, we'll make sure that it's relevant or we'll get guests on that will resonate with them. The other big one is to go on other shows. Being on other podcasts is a huge, huge one. I, a lot of podcasters overlook that. It's a really low-hanging fruit in my opinion. And then if they go to your website and you're like, hey, you know, you've also appeared on other podcasts, it's great social proof about what you're doing. So, Knowing what you know now, what would you do differently or do more of if you were to go back? Being okay with getting feedback and setting yourself up to get good, clean, numbers-driven is this really any good feedback? Is anyone really listening? Or am I just screaming into an empty room, um, which no one cares about? As a, always a sidebar, if it's just a passion project, just allow it to be that. Don't worry about the numbers. Do it because you want to do it. That's also fine. Pre-launch, you were not promoting, but then you put out how many before you promoted? Once we're happy with the format. So we, we had, um, I think, 60 out, and then we deleted half of those. Okay. And then we went back out with a promoted version of the show, which had the, the little trailer and everything embedded in the show. And then we made a decision after now we're three months to go to this new show format. Yeah. So then obviously within each episode, you wouldn't, you wouldn't say this is episode 38. And yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Yeah. yeah. So we didn't, we didn't day stamp anything. So the first 60 or whatever, that was just word of mouth. You were just putting it out there and see what was happening. Just trying to make the product work. Yeah. We were mainly interested in the minutiae of like who is in that circle. And we were okay if it was in Melbourne because we could go and talk to them. So yeah. So I guess that it was forcing us to be very like, this isn't a show. This is a tool for our business. Uh, Drew, you've talked a few times about not quite reaching the numbers that you were hoping for. So I want to ask the elephant in the room, what numbers were you hoping for? What are you getting now? And what do you think has maybe stopped you from getting to, to those numbers? Yeah, that's a good question. So our main number was email subscribers because we were trying to create a community, an audience of people who were going to help us launch our startup. That was our main number. So um, we just weren't seeing the, the transition. So we spent a bit of time on Instagram. We got like, 2,000 plus followers on Instagram, but we didn't see them go from Instagram into our email list or into the podcasts for that matter. So we, we had this number in our head of 10,000 a show. That, that was our goal. Uh, why? Because it was kind of like a 1% gather of like committed community-driven people. We're getting 100 people joining our mailing list every show, every week. And obviously it's, um, it's not like 10,000, it, it's, it's a tail, it's a long tail of podcasts. So you keep getting waves of people that come in new audience. That was our number. So that's the reason we had 10,000 ahead. Well, thanks very much, everyone, for coming along. Drew, thank you very much for being very authentic. <laughs> <laughs>